0: So welcome back to episode five. Um, We've taken a bit of a hiatus, funnily enough, because we've all been dealing with life and mental health things. So it's only fitting that today's episode, uh, we're focusing on mental health. Um, So because this is obviously a bit of a touchy subject, we don't want to start with our usual cheaper than therapy because we want to dedicate a little bit more time to this um, this week Uh, So we're going to switch things around and start with our recommendations. So, Mona, Maddie, what's been making you happy this week? Have you read or listened to anything that you want to recommend? Hi, guys. It's Maddie
1: here. Missed you. My recommendation this week is to book a random holiday. You know, just go on Skyscanner, look at tickets, and see where the cheapest but sort of sexy-looking destination is, and go on holiday. Um, I think it's a great thing to do with friends, family, or a loved one.
0: And you've just done that right?
1: Yes went to Amsterdam but unfortunately what happens in Amsterdam stays in Amsterdam.
0: I think that's a really good recommendation because it's been such a long cold dark winter. I feel like I'm a hundred years old and I haven't seen the sun in who knows 10 years or something. Um, So I think a holiday sounds like a pretty good recommendation. Bona what's your recommendation this week?
2: Um, my recommendation is a, a recipe in a cookbook. So um, I had some uh, friends around for dinner recently and I had one of those like freakouts where I was like, I don't know what to make like oh what am I making for dinner? And um, I found this recipe in a book by Diana Henry. Um, the book's called Simple. And literally, it takes like 10 minutes to throw it together. It's like chicken with like dates and harissa and rice. And you just put everything in a pan and put it in the oven, basically. And everyone was like raving about it. And they were like, can I have the recipe? And I was basically like, no, because I don't want you to know how easy it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was hands down one of the best things I've ever made. And it took 10 minutes. And all of the ingredients are pretty um, standard. So yeah, um, it's a chicken and date recipe in Diana Henry's um, cookbook,
1: Simple. The only thing about that, Mona, is that people actually need the recipe. You can't, re- <laughs> yeah. you can't recommend can you the recipe just, without giving the just secret. Can out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, that sounds awesome. Can you, I mean, if you wanted to invite us over. <laughs> and
2: Anytime, guys. Anytime. <laughs>
0: um, so my recommendation this week actually fits in quite nicely with the topic today. So I almost don't want to talk too much about it, because I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the second half of our show, but um, my recommendation is a book, it's called Eat Up, uh, written by Ruby Tando, who was on The Great British Bake Off, I think in 2013, if I remember correctly, or maybe 2014, uh, she didn't win it, spoiler alert, but um, she wrote this wonderful book, uh, which is kind of looking at our relationship with food and um. It's sort of written from a perspective of someone who's recovered from an eating disorder and just sort of trying to take away the anxiety uh, regarding, you know, food or what is deemed good food or clean food in quotation marks. Um, And I actually saw her yesterday at a talk um, at Edinburgh Uni, which was really great. And it was just sort of an hour-long conversation with her talking about some of the topics in the book. Um, and talking about how to have a more healthy relationship with food and um, anyway I'm gonna probably mention this book some more and perhaps read some quotes in the second half of our show because it fits quite nicely with what we're going to discuss today. Um, The topic that we want to look at this week is mental health which is obviously a very broad and also touchy subject Uh, and none of us are really, you know, clinically depressed. I think we all have our own issues and anxiety and mental health stuff. Um, so I think we want to keep this quite broad uh, as to not sort of step on anyone's toes um, with any, you know, I don't know, uh, advice or recommendations or anything that we've read that might not reflect people's um, experiences. So we've decided to focus on two things that are quite broad and i think are affecting especially us as millennials today in terms of technology use so in this first section of the show we kind of show sorry it's like in this show uh in this uh podcast we'd like to focus on social media because that is something you know that we all kind of use especially with the rising use of um technology and smartphones and um Recently, especially over the last five years, there have been quite a lot of studies on how technology use and social media can affect our mental health. And to start this off, I just kind of want to um, refer to uh, Ofcom, which is the communications regulator in the UK, uh, just sort of with some stats. So they now refer to the UK as a smartphone society with two-thirds of um, adults in the UK now using a smartphone and preferring it over laptop and pc use and uh, according to their findings we spend about two hours a day on our smartphones and i believe that's sort of like on top of you know the internet use or technology use um that we use at work uh so i think in total that makes almost like basically all the hours that we're awake we're kind of probably using technology and um That's obviously had an effect on us. But before we sort of delve into mental health issues and stuff, I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, what's been your experience with social media? Because, for example, for me, I remember when Facebook first came out in 2005, it was more like a tool to stalk people that you studied with find out if someone was single or not I think it was sort of like the tinder of back in the day Um,
2: (laughs) and that whole it's complicated status oh my god yeah it's
0: complicated (laughs) yeah exactly and it's I think it's kind of morphed into this really big beast which dominates our lives in certain ways but it definitely didn't start out like that at least not for me so I kind of wanted to see how you guys have experienced it and how your relationship with social media has changed.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm the same. So Facebook um, uh, sort of emerged on the scene when I was at uni and it was basically the first way that you could find out about other people that you were mm. interested in without knowing them or speaking to them and so I mean it's crazy how suddenly like you could have all of these insights into what people are up to at the weekend people you've never met but like mm. are quite interested in or are just wanting to kind of like spy on like it was it's crazy like it was sudden like information overload into your life I think very quickly it was a basically just a way of comparing yourselves to other people mm. in a way that was maybe not super healthy um, and very quickly became quite competitive who can be seen to be having the best time via their Facebook feed Um, so yeah that's kind of my initial experience. Mm
1: -hmm. You guys obviously don't remember Friendster and Myspace hey? Uh. (laughs) Um, For me Facebook really started off as a way of kind of catching up with people I hadn't seen in a long time like friends and family but then eventually it did I did have an unhealthy relationship like especially I guess with Facebook in that it was more I used to look at other people's lives and it became quite depressing for me because you'd see people at stages in life that you wished you were at like Mm. you see friends who are married or have kids bought houses have cars and for me that's when I think I kind of knew I was having a problem with social media and that it affected my life when I was off it and so in the last I think few years I've really sort of taken a look at how I've what I do with social media and that I've had kind of cleansers like friend cleansers and that if if it's not somebody I would see if I saw them on the street and if I wouldn't speak to them why am I friends with them Mm. so I've tried to like nitpick who I am actually friends with so I'm interested in their lives or what's going on in their life Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I try and keep in touch with people more regularly than I used to but I, I definitely did have a difficult period with the whole social media thing. And also, I just need to tell people, we don't want to know when your kid has its first poo. That's not <laughs> for social media at all. Um, in my experience, I've tried to turn at what used to be a first positive and then turning into a negative back into a positive experience again.
0: Yeah I just wanted to add to that um, there's this saying that's basically saying like Facebook is where you lie to your friends and Twitter is where you tell the truth to strangers <laughs> and I think there's definitely something to that because I think Facebook I think from this initial thing where it was just about this new platform where you wanted to connect with your friends and like post funny stuff and like so many photos of drunk parties and stuff um, it morphed into this thing where yeah like you said you catch up with people that you haven't seen in a while and then it it became the sort of comparison thing, but I guess at the end of the day, everyone presents their life, like an edited version of their Mm. lives, right, sort of like, this is me, and look how great I'm doing, and I think there was also, now it seems to have stopped, but there was a time when everyone on Facebook kind of felt like they had to tell you what they had been doing all day,
1: Exactly. and
0: I think, oh, I, I hated that, because, you know, when you were like, you've had a shitty day, you're at home, you're eating cheese in bed, and then someone's like, oh, I had this amazing day where I went to this, like, art festival with all of my best friends. And, and then, then ran a
2: marathon on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> ran a marathon on the
0: way home, and now I'm, like, sitting in my, you know, perfect, I don't know, living room with my perfect furniture, and although that's kind of crossing into Instagram territory now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I think what you said there, Mona, about, you know, compa- or actually, Maddie as well, like that you compare yourself to others and you take that as a standard, mm. uh, you know, that can become quite dangerous for your own well being. Um, and um, there's been a study recently by the Royal Society for Public Health, together with a charity which is called uh, the Young Health Movement. And they basically did a survey in 2017 where they had a sample size of 1,500 people and they sort of self reported their levels of um, anxiety and depression after looking at certain social media platforms. And actually, Facebook didn't come in as the worst, but it was Instagram that makes people the most depressed, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see that because, you know, a lot of people post these perfect pictures of their edited lives. Um, and, uh, you know... There's not
2: much context. There's not much there's, there's not much.
0: There's not yeah. much context. You have a filter, you know... There's a whole selfie culture as well, where people probably take like 150 selfies until they find one, which works, but you don't see that. You just see that one picture that looks amazing. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so actually Instagram came in worse, and then it was followed by Snapchat, which I have not that much experience in. I'm
2: not down with the kids enough for Snapchat, no
1: uh, way. I'm on Snapchat, to be honest, but it got... Boring real fast. Like, I just don't understand why you want to send people, like, 10 seconds of, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I just... I I just... I don't understand it. I've got a Snapchat account, but I actually don't use it.
0: Hmm. So... I used to have it, and I like the filters that you can put on your face, but I I had one other friend on there. (laughs) And then we kind of used it ironically where we just sent each other 10-second videos. And we were actually working in the same office building for a while, so it was literally like me at my computer with like a dog face, dog filter face, face filter, whatever, and her at her desk with, I don't know, something else. And we would just send 10-second snippets to like, I'm bored, want to have lunch? Um, So yeah, obviously very useful. But then Facebook came in third and Twitter actually came in last. Although Instagram is kind of the fastest growing social media platform.
2: So, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I've got um, I, I I think Instagram is probably my favorite of the social media platforms. But I have a really interesting kind of anecdote that happened to me recently where um, I'd been um, sort of relatively down. and I decided to kind of take control of my life last year. Um, and signed up to this like cycling challenge. And so I ended up posting quite a lot of pictures on Instagram of my cycle rides because um, I was trying to raise money for the um, charities that I was um, sort of campaigning for. Um, and someone got in touch with me who I hadn't been in touch with for about like five years um, and was basically like, oh my God, your life looks so amazing from what I've seen on Instagram. Mm. What are you doing? I want to hear all about it. Um, and it was really interesting because his perception was that I had this amazing life and I'm doing all of this cycling and... I must be really happy and it was really interesting to, to kind of take that conversation offline and we had a chat on the phone and i basically had to say like no the reason why i'm posting all of this is because i'm unhappy and i'm trying to take control of it mm. um so it's really interesting just that kind of what the perception is and then you dig that tiny bit deeper and it's quite quick that you find out that yeah those photos that you think mean something probably mean something completely different
0: and i think the Interesting thing to consider here is obviously like, you know, we're in our 30s, and I think maybe, I mean, I, I feel weird saying that. I think we have the maturity to sort of take a step back and be objective and be like, okay, all of these photos are edited, or, you know, like you said, Mona, I think for me at least, I know that quite, a, not you particularly, <laughs> but I know that quite a lot of people post pictures to almost lift themselves up. And I can, I I do that too. I think, you know, when I'm sort of out and about and I see something nice and I'm feeling kind of sad, then at least I almost use Instagram like a highlight reel of my year where I'm like reminded of all the nice things that I've done. But I think, you know, there is something to say about the impact that it has, especially on younger people. And I just wanted to read this quote from um, the CEO of the Royal Society uh, for Public Health who said, Social media has been described as more addictive than cigarettes and alcohol and is now so entrenched in the lives of young people that it is no longer possible to ignore it when talking about young people's mental health issues. It's interesting to see Instagram and Snapchat ranking as the worst for mental health and well-being. Both platforms are very image-focused and it appears that they may be driving feelings of inadequacy and anxiety in young people. And just related to that, um, just wanted to quickly present a stat which was basically another study that found out that the number of teenagers spending time with friends uh, has nearly dropped by 40% between 2000 and 2015, with rates of loneliness consistently soaring. And that's obviously quite worrying, I think, because I think a lot of, at least for me, I remember a time when there was no internet. Uh, which says a lot about my age. (laughs) But, like, I didn't grow up with internet. But, you know, I I mean, I think the next generation, what are they called, Gen Y or whatever?
2: Or iGen, I
0: think. iGen, yeah. I think they are obviously, like, it's so entrenched in their lives and they grow up with social media and it's normal for them. And I think we have this perception, like, that we increase social interactions through social media because you can chat to anyone at any point. But then the question is, Is that actually meaningful interaction or not?
2: Yeah, there was a really interesting article. I think it was in the New Yorker, but we can maybe dig it out and put it on our Facebook page or in the show notes um, about exactly this. This generation born between 1995 and 2012, where they've basically grown up with smartphones and they don't really remember a pre-internet age. And it was saying that basically they are safer than ever before. So like physically safer in that. They're not really going out as much. They're not kind of like climbing out of their window to go to clubs um, uh, unbeknownst to their parents. They're staying in. Um, they're actually having less sex um, because yeah. they're basically, but they're probably posting, you know, naked selfies of themselves mm. um, via Snapchat or whatever. But that so they're sort of physically safer, but actually a lot more vulnerable than teenagers ever have been in previous years. And I think that's just a really interesting dichotomy. Like they're in their rooms that they are exposed to so much more content than we ever grew up with and they have everything at their fingertips and they can't switch it off Mm -hmm. you know they are if you're being bullied you know before at home at the weekend or in your evenings was a safe space Mm -hmm. whereas now it's not because because people can reach out to you you can reach out to others and um, there's a real vulnerability to that so Mm -hmm.
1: um yeah yes unfortunately I feel like with the, the generation of now it's just with social media that's the only way they feel like they can communicate with friends or family and you lose that i think that person to person contact and i feel that's actually quite important for your mental health mm. being able to physically see somebody being able to to see their expressions you, you, people say you can Skype or you can video chat but it's not the same thing as when you're in the same room as somebody watching their body language and sort of having that reflective or they're reflective in their, the way they're speaking to you. And I feel that's why a lot of people are more lonely and tends to affect your mental health more because people say, P- you can work from home now. You don't have to leave the house. And that can be quite lonely and isolating. Mm. So I think that's a worry for me in that our generation are going to grow up not social. Mm. And you tend and, and if you look at the, the rate of, I guess, maybe suicide or emotional problems that, this generation has. It is quite frightening. Mm. You know, you get a lot of social disorders, social anxiety, and I do think social media, even though they say it's there to help and you can look up resources, I don't think it's as much of a solution as people present it to be.
0: I think also, I mean, I haven't read any sort of science to back this up. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're social creatures and there is a real difference between reading words on a screen and just being near someone. Like, I'm sure like us sitting here together probably releases some kind of, I don't know, endorphins or chemicals where you're like, I've had a social interaction, you know, I feel better. Whereas even if it's your even if it's your best friend, but you just see the words on screen and you don't hear the voice or you don't have that, I guess, eye contact or body language or Anything I, I do think there is probably a really big difference to that. Also, I think text messages tend to be quite sort of s- small talk, yeah, like you don't know how to read them, but also I think it tends to be small talk. Like, I do tend to have serious conversations on WhatsApp with people I know very well, but usually I don't use sorry, WhatsApp is actually another social platform, rather, I guess it could be Facebook Messenger or whatever. Um, But it's all, you know, these sort of snippets of ha ha ha, LOL, BRB. I don't know what else there is, Mm (laughs) but um, I don't think there's sort of meaningful conversations. And I kind of notice for me personally, the difference when someone sends me voice messages because I immediately, you know, they make me smile more. I can hear someone's voice. I can hear how they're feeling. And I can sort of get a feel for that, whereas on text, it's all your own projection onto other people. So it's actually very subjective, I think.
2: But isn't that so funny? Because I've noticed that increasingly recently people have started sending me voice memos on WhatsApp and it's like... Jesus let's just phone each other then let's just go old school like why are we like now using like
1: voice messages when we
2: could just be on a landline
0: that's true
1: I think people actually don't know how to have conversations on the phone anymore Mm. because we're so used to texting and doing like the quick option like I think even when if you try and have a conversation I know when people phone me and kind of like I just feel like I don't have like I'm losing the skills or my brain can't Mm. think fast enough to be able to try and articulate obviously the people like like you're close to like family and friends, like if there's a 10 or like a five second silence, just like, yeah, it's fine. But can you imagine trying to have a conversation with somebody that maybe you haven't talked to for a while and then you get this period of like, I don't know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what to
0: do. Yeah. Well, it's
1: just fast to write.
0: Oh, it's so good to hear from you. LOL. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So just to maybe wrap up this section, I just kind of wanted to, as a last point, look at what social media platforms themselves are saying about that. So for example, Facebook, recognize that that is an issue and in 2017 their director of research or whatever that person is called um they published a whole sort of article on their take of it and basically Facebook's own research into social media and mental health and unsurprisingly Facebook's solution is you should use more Facebook just use it better <laughs> and um, they were basically saying there are two ways to use social media and Facebook, one being where you're sort of very passive and just scrolling through things and that's more likely to make you feel worse or bad. Um, Whereas the other way where you interact with people and you send messages and you post photos and you comment on people's stuff, that's how supposedly, you know, you're going to feel better in, in case, you know, your mental health is affected by Facebook. And Instagram said something similar when the results of the study were presented Um, that Instagram is sort of the worst platform for mental health. Their response was something similar. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we really want to be part of creating a positive experience where people can exchange, um, uh, you know, their own stories and find companions uh, and also can sort of exchange their opinions on mental health or, or find people in case they're struggling. And I just thought both responses were really kind of a cop-out because obviously the solution is not saying I I don't know to me it sounds a little bit like saying you're just using these platforms wrong Mm -hmm. so you're the one you're a shite user yeah you're 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 a bad user and therefore you feel bad when you use our platforms it's got nothing to do with us
2: Yeah, I think especially when I think that there's an implicit acknowledgement that a lot of what they do is deliberate to make these platforms addictive. There's been a lot of um, kind of uh, stuff in the news about how people who used to work for Facebook or whatever have admitted that a lot of what they attempt to do is to make it an addictive Mm -hmm. platform, and I found that myself. I mean, it's very difficult to leave Facebook as well. Um, So I think that they need to address that and, and they need to begin to think about the extent to which they are... Um, deliberately designing it to be a platform that people spend way too much time on.
0: So maybe just as a last point before we wrap this uh, section up. So Maddie, in preparation for this podcast, you've actually taken a digital detox and a break from Facebook. So how's that going for you?
1: Um. Actually, yes. So I've done a seven day detox, as Eva has said. The first day i th- was hard actually because I'm so used to in between when I'm not doing something at work between I just flipped my phone and just start scrolling and it's been I actually even deleted the app off my my phone as well um so it means that I can't accidentally go into it and I've found that it's actually it's it's the last couple of days have been better I think the first day I was really struggling with like what to do with my time but I was just thinking okay maybe I can actually read that book I was meant to get to or send somebody a text that I've been meaning to send a text which I've actually that I'm trying to occupy my time With things are a bit more productive with my day, Um, don't get me wrong. I still have Instagram, but the good thing is that I never used to use Instagram that much. So for me, I haven't really, haven't increased my social media uptake with Instagram. So, I'm not doing anything differently there. I just, but I kind of feel more at peace because I've, I've been obvious. I've been like I know because you guys are my friends, so you know. I've been having a couple of ups and downs and just lots of stress with work as well. So for me, I just needed to take time away from. I think, focusing on other people and focus on myself. And I think with Facebook, I got into that trap of sort of like, oh, this person, like, I'm trying to find somebody else whose life is shit so I can <laughs> feel a little bit better of myself, you know, because sometimes people do that. And I think that was quite unhealthy for mm. me. And I said, I'll, I just need time away and just sort of time to recalibrate and refigure my priorities. And I think this is also a good thing of looking at what my actual priorities are in life.
0: Mm. So. I think that's a very good point, Um what you just said about you know when first of all we're also used to just using social media casually like I I also took a digital detox not recently but like a year ago for I think almost a month because for me the reason why I did it was more that I found myself at work or even at home, you know, when I had like five minutes, I would just sort of use it as a time filler. I'd be like, oh, I have nothing to do. So immediately just scroll through things and was like, this is actually really not a productive way to use my time, you know, because if I've got five minutes, I could be doing other things. I could be cooking or phoning someone, you know, or I don't know, read a book. Um, And then the other thing is what you said. I, I find that you're constantly bombarded with all these status updates and photos and Like you said, you you tend to almost not prioritize other people, but those thoughts or feeling that those things trigger that you read, they then tend to take over Mm. all your brain space. So you can't really focus on you and what, you know, you're feeling or where you're at. So, uh, yeah, I think digital detox is a very good thing.
2: Have you guys heard of the concept of digital Sabbath? no. So I have never done this, but I'm quite keen to try it. So basically just the idea that you switch off all digital devices from a Friday night until uh, Sunday morning. Mm. Um, And I quite like that idea because it just gives you, it frees up your weekend. It's like doable um, and it's kind of for a time-limited amount of time, but um, it would be quite a good way, I think, of just using your free time more productively and just making sure you're not getting into the trap of just checking things and, you know, obsessing over likes on Instagram or whatever for just a dedicated amount of time, and I think I might try
1: it. I'll do that after I watch Jessica Jones' season two. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah,
0: does that include Netflix? Then I can't do that, I don't, I don't think. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's all screens. Are you? Oh, no. Can Sorry, you adapt uh, the rules? <laughs> I mean, you can make cinema up your own rules, count. right? I think cinema doesn't count. Okay, well. Because okay. you actually get out of the house and, yeah. inter, and yeah. sort of
1: interactive, even though you're not really talking to people in the cinema. There's it's an, actual, experience. Exactly it's yeah. an experience. Exactly. It's an experience. Exactly.
0: Uh, So moving on to the second part of uh, the episode where we kind of want to focus on a specific mental health issue that has um, come about. I mean, it's always been around, but I think has been exacerbated, at least by the use of social media and social media platforms, which is uh, the effects that social media has on our body image and especially um, body dysmorphia which is uh, or also known as body dysmorphic disorder, which is a preoccupation with what people imagine to be a defective body part or a distorted view of some small and in- insign- insignificant defect. I mean, even that language, sorry, just a defective body part <laughs> just sounds really bad. Just to start off with a couple of uh, stats again. So research suggests that increased amounts of time on Facebook can lead to body image insecurity, um, especially because of comparisons to our friends' photos or even celebrity accounts. A study in the International Journal of Eating Disorders showed social media exposure can promote distorted body image perception. Um, Increased use of Facebook has additionally been associated with higher rates of disordered eating. So um, again, it comes in with this whole comparison, like, oh, my friends are so much thinner than me, or I don't know, have better thighs, I need a thigh gap, Oh, remember the whole thigh gap thing. Have you guys had any experience with that?
1: Um, From my experience, I think I've always when i was, especially started when, for me when i was younger cuz i was always one of the smallest in like in class and I had a massive chest and i actually used to get made fun of so for me that's where my journey with that started and then you start looking more into hollywood and you start looking at even when you start going to uni and all the kind of like the guys were all like all these skinny girls and you start looking at what hollywood tells you you need to be blonde blue eyed and you know have a waist that you know you, you can't even put a toothpick through <laughs> so i used to have an unhealthy obsession of looking at like social media to say what the standard of beauty of what my body should look like. Mm. And because I guess I've always had like the bigger chest and like a bit of hip and then a bit of butt. So I was thinking, Oh no, that's not the way you should be. And I sort of used to think, Oh, am I fat? I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too fat. And you try and work on things that you think you need to change so that you can look like what is acceptable in society. Right? So I guess, and I think social media did not help, especially as social media kept on growing it really started to impact my life negatively. Um, and I think, especially when you're young, I think now that I'm in my 30s, I've got to this point where I'm actually quite comfortable with my body. Yes, i got a bit of junk in the trunk, and, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I look like a potato. Um, we can confirm Maddie does not look like a potato. <laughs> no, but does not. But I think it's taken a lot of work, and I think trying to separate, like, you know, that's that person, that's that person's journey, that's not my journey. And, you know, I think trying to look at social media from a different aspect, I can understand that, yes, you sh- everybody should be proud of their journeys, but it doesn't mean I'm going to post pictures of myself in a bikini on social media, no. Mm. Um, it just means you have to get to that stage where you separate somebody else's life from your life and be happy. Like, now it's that, it gets to that stage where I'm sure half my neighbors would probably see me naked through the window <laughs> because I couldn't really care to put on a towel and come out of the bathroom. Yeah. But it is... I, I don't want to sit here and make it sound nonchalant because it has been quite an issue for me in the past in that I really had a struggle with what my body looked like in comparison to people who are long tall you know have lovely hair and I think my body just didn't really fit to see like didn't fit the mode of what I thought people needed it to be
2: yeah that's really interesting I mean I am um It's funny, like, I actually don't struggle with this at the minute, but I definitely have struggled with it. And I think it's partly because I sort of have always felt like I don't look like anyone else. (laughs) Like, just being, like, from a mixed heritage background, like, I've never felt particularly that I look like anyone. So I've never really compared myself to anyone. But I did definitely go through a period in my late teens, post-uni, really, where I I would say I probably did have something approaching body dysmorphia. But it was kind of very... um, generalized it wasn't I thought I was fat it's just I thought I was weird Mm. and so I was constantly obsessed that if anyone looked at me like if just like a woman on the bus looked at me I was like oh my god have I got like snot smeared all over my face and I just had this paranoia about the way that I looked that was very not to do with being thin or ugly but just to do with being um different I think um and so I think once I got over that which I'm I'm not sure quite how I did but um I just did um I've since I've just not paid much attention to other people and I don't particularly sort of um put myself about photos of myself really on social media and I just tend to scroll on by photos of other people so for me I think the the biggest thing that's impacted me is the food side of things mm. so um I have a friend who started up a food business and she started posting stuff on Instagram with like pictures of chocolate that's like you know raw cacao with like mm. zero vegan chocolate and stuff and like hashtag guilt-free and I think things like that really piss me off because it's kind of like all food should be guilt-free like and I think you're probably going to go on to talk a bit more about that Eva but um yeah for me it's less about how I look and more about what people tell you you should be eating because I think nutrition is such a brilliant part of our lives and like I love food and I don't want that to be corrupted for me by social media
0: yeah that's really interesting and I think um, another thing to maybe look at this is not just looking at social media or body dysmorphia or um, insecurity about our bodies that social media can fuel but maybe looking at this more broadly and how some of the recent trends not just in social media but maybe the media in general and just sort of the food industry have fueled wider anxieties about our relationship with food a very popular example is uh, Ella Mills, or Deliciously Ella, as she's called. She's I- I'm not trying to, like, scapegoat here, here, here. She's just, like, a very... She's just the most illustrative example of this. Um, who's obviously in a very privileged position. And um, basically, when she first uh, published her first... Or she came out with a blog and then went on to publish a couple of cookbooks. She's from a very privileged background. Her mom, I think she's, like, a Sainsbury's heiress or whatnot. And her dad is an MP. Uh, and she first came out and basically said she had a autoimmune disorder. I can't exactly remember what it was now, but she claimed that she was able to cure herself um, uh, or, or she felt better by adopting a plant-based diet and went on to Publish a lot of uh, recipes that basically said you should eat gluten-free because, you know, gluten bad for you and you should switch to natural sugars like dates instead of sugar because dates are better for you and it's natural. And I think this whole um, narrative around clean eating, which has also been adopted by other bloggers, especially on Instagram or Facebook or just the media in general, has been that certain foods are, in quotation marks, clean and good for you and others are bad and will make you feel um, bad and I that has led to some very dangerous uh, statements. I think really exploiting vulnerable people who may be suffering from an eating disorder. So another uh, example of this is a lady called Belle Gibson, uh, who had a brain tumor and um, said she healed herself uh, through this like plant-based diet of clean foods, and um, it turned out that she. Didn't actually have a brain tumor at all. Um, she just completely made it up um, to sell her book cookbooks and um, to push this narrative around. You know her amazing diet and to make money from it. And I think that's really really dangerous because obviously there are a lot of vulnerable people who might have um, an illness or might be sick and you know trying to basically explore all avenues available to them. And then you have people who are obviously mentally ill. I think that's the only way I could describe this woman. Like, why would you make up a lie that big otherwise? Um, Who exploit that and try to make it into a profit-making machine? So, Maddie, you've lived in Australia. This woman is Australian, so I'm sure you've sort of seen more of this. Yes, that's
1: why I was rolling my eyes, because I'm obviously being vegan as well, so you have to really be careful with what you're actually um, putting out there. But in terms of, it's easy to take advantage of people who've got, I guess, a disorder in terms of, like, with their body cause, or in terms of whether it be body dysmorphia or anorexia, because at the end of the day, these are mental issues that um, people have to deal with, and I think these people can be easily exploited into other people's gain, and I guess that's also probably maybe another f- a topic for another day that we can, I guess, the exploitation of people who are vulnerable, be interesting for us to talk about at some point.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's two distinct things. So, yeah, there's there's probably, um, you know, uh, a whole um, different topic about, you know, how people um, have genuine kind of eating disorders. And then there's just how um, these types of bloggers affect normal people who don't have, you know, um, you know, a psychological issues around eating that are like clinically defined but that we are made to feel that we're inadequate or are eating wrong or are not taking care of our bodies and I think it's that broad subset that um, I kind of feel like it's possible for us all to identify with and Mm. kind of rail against Um, and I don't think that means that you that you know you have to kind of discount being vegan or gluten-free I think those things are fine for people Um, and great for people who find uh, that they help them feel better and healthier and, um, you know, um, not in pain from, you know, (laughs) issues around gluten or whatever. And vegan, I think vegan food can be really joyous. I mean, I really love, um, uh, it's Mira Soda's um, new vegan column in The Mm. Guardian, and it's really colorful, delicious, often kind of um, Asian, Indian um, vegan food. And it's not about, like, not depriving yourself or trying to shave off calories. It's just about... Uh, a different way of eating so I think there can be joy in some of these food movements um, but often they're just presented
0: badly I think that's definitely true because just what you said I think some of these diets obviously work for some people and make them feel great and then others they don't you know they don't work and they don't make them feel better and you don't get the glow if you (laughs) don't follow certain recipes but I think especially for people who might be vulnerable already or might have a decent Eating disorder already. Social media platforms such as I think I refer especially to Instagram here, where you know you're constantly bombarded of pictures of beautiful food and beautiful women looking amazing, basically saying I switched my diet to this and now I look like this. And I think if you have a tendency to feel insecure about your body, or maybe you have an eating disorder already, then these things can really make you feel worse or exacerbate your condition. You know because um, like. Ruby Tando yesterday was referring to, um, uh, I I can't remember now, because she suffered from an eating disorder. And I think someone said to her like, oh, you should go vegan because you can eat whatever you want and you won't get fat. And that's obviously really worrying because that's not why you should be switching to a certain diet. Um, It's not so, you know, you can eat whatever you want guilt-free and not get fat. So I think a lot of these Instagram or social media bloggers, wellness bloggers, they promote that feeling of guilt and shame that's attached to food. And um, yeah, that's obviously really sad, and especially for young people who are so susceptible. And I think when you're a teenager, you feel really awkward about your body anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, like your body is changing and you're like, oh, I wish I had bigger boobs or smaller boobs and like, oh, no, and all these stretch marks are appearing or whatnot, you know, and then you don't really know where your place is anyway, and you don't really feel connected to your body um, So I think those are the groups that you know we really need to look out for. So maybe to conclude this I just wanted to share a quote from the Ruby Tando book which I think is really nice and um, like I said, I really recommend this book Eat up. Um, as I mentioned in, in the intro, it's sort of written from a perspective from someone who from someone who is uh, recovering from an eating disorder. And um, especially working on that, sort of taking the guilt and shame away from food and maybe some people who have anxiety about eating certain things. And I just want to read this quick quote, which I find really lovely, and I hope it's going to inspire everyone to eat whatever it is they want to eat, whether that's McDonald's or, you know, a vegan cauliflower crust. Um, (laughs) But anyway... To hell with towing the line. Our bodies are magical things. We go through our lives taking little bits of the world into us, bite by bite, and turning all of that matter into us. We get bigger, stronger, brighter, bolder, taking up more space, asserting the primacy of our existence with every morsel we eat. Fat bodies are big and perfect and deserve plates of meatballs made with the most tender care. Thin bodies are small in life, feed them until their bellies swell strange and round against their little frames. Women's bodies need big dishes of hearty protein so that they can flex their guns and store that extra fat on their stomachs and hips. Give elegant macaroons and eclairs and daintily iced biscuits to men and fill their bodies with sweetness. For the non-binary people around you, serve crumpets dripping with butter to stoke the fires of their souls. Smother disabled bodies with the love of a perfectly ripe nectarine in the summer sun, a wedge of birthday cake or the final rollo in the packet. Flood children with all the dazzling flavors of peanut butter, licked straight from a finger, scoops of cake batter, sizzling bacon rashers. Nourish yourself as though you're taking care of the most precious thing in the world. Strengthen your bones with milkshakes, patch up cuts, and bruises with cheese on toast. Eat for your life.
1: Great quote, but my boyfriend has a sweet tooth, so he's not going to be reading (laughs) that book recommending him to eat eclairs and shit.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I just like that quote because I think it's um, I like the concept of, you know, when you eat things, you're actually taking things in. And yes, of course, the rational side of you can say like this thing has sugar and whatever. But you're actually like food is comfort, but it's also a gesture and it's also a social thing. Like I think food is so many things that are important to our well-being and mental health. And um, I think instead of constantly saying I shouldn't eat this, I shouldn't eat that or this makes me fat, it's quite important also to. Acknowledge the fact that sharing meals, cooking for others, eating something that makes you happy, whether that's, you know, a Mars bar or a green smoothie, that those are all things that nourish you from the inside as well.
2: Yeah, and that we all need calories every day to keep us going. So we might as well find joy in them. Why not?
1: I'm going to be a little bit different in saying, uh, uh, is it Hippocrates or whatever the hell his name is, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. In that Make it nourish you emotionally, physically, and psychologically.
0: Okay, so to wrap up, um, usually we start with a section where we talk about cheaper than therapy and what's has been our cheaper than therapy this week. And I think maybe this <laughs> this episode we all really need to talk about this because we've all had like a crappy start to 2018. Um So yeah, do you guys sort of want to not obviously share super personal details, but do you guys want to sort of share a bit of the things that have made you feel better, anything you can share with our listeners, any wisdom of how to get you out of whatever slump you could find yourself in, whether that's sort of feeling a bit sad because it's winter and it's dark and it's horrible outside or... Anything traumatic that happens to you? <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> um, for me,
1: what well, I call it, when that I'm in a funk. Mm. So when I'm in that funk, I try and sort of just ignore everything and take time out for me. Sometimes, I know this will sound weird to people, but for me, I kind of sit and sometimes write inspirational notes on my mirror like, let it go, or it's going to be fine. And I look at that when I wake up and just sort of see it. And it's a motivation for the day. And sometimes I just look at myself and say, you got this. You can do this. Because I, I think I I work very well in that when I know that I'm at my limit of something, I take time away from the world, and I need to recharge my batteries. Whether it's listening to a podcast or sometimes some meditative like words just or inspirational quotes or reading inspirational quotes, that for me gets me back to center and I can kind of say okay I've reset I know I was in that funk but it's not as it's not always that easy because sometimes th- things can be ongoing but I try to get to, into that reflective state and saying okay it's not that bad can you get out of this if you can get out of this and the problem can't be fixed anyway so you better move on and I feel usually when I start to get into that funk I'm like okay bring it home bring it home you can do this like and it just sort of like prep myself up Um, So that's always helped me. And also talking to one trustworthy friend. Like for me, my sister is my best friend. And I can talk to her about literally anything on the planet. So sometimes just having a conversation saying, I'm not doing that fantastic. And, you know, she's always been my cheerleader saying, you got this. You can do this. And just listening to that resounding voice of telling yourself and somebody else that you trust and love telling you that you got this definitely helps me get to where I need to be.
2: That's, that's really interesting. That last point that you made there, Maddie, was definitely one I was going to pick up on as well because I'm quite a private person, I would say, and I tend not to have, like, tons and tons of friends. And my instinct, I would say, when I'm down, is to, like, hide away and to kind of burrow down and to just kind of try and get myself out of it. And this time, um, when I had been down in the last couple of months, i have been reaching out, making a conscious effort to re- reach out to people and saying, like, I am feeling shitty and, like, I am feeling down and kind of owning it. And actually, you're really always, I think, quite surprised at the reaction that comes back at you. Like, even if it's not the worst thing that's happened in the world, but it's somehow impacted you quite heavily, um, other people are always going to be there to lift you up. And I think when we live in a world of social media where you kind of only present your highlights real, um, it's really reassuring sometimes to be like, actually, I'm shit at the moment. And you know what? People do rally around, and they Mm. will rally around. And I think that's wonderful. I think the other thing I would say is, I mentioned exercise before, and I am not an exercise, like, gym bunny person. Like, until about a year ago, I did zero exercise. And so, like, I get it when people are not, like, inclined that way. But I would say that just even an hour a week of kind of slightly intense exercise has completely altered my mental health. So um, I would say bite the bullet and do
0: it if you're not doing it already. Um. Yeah, so I'm going to mention two things, I think. So one is a bit more general um so I've always struggled a bit with anxiety and being just a very anxious person I've always referred to myself as a warrior but I think it was not until sort of maybe like two three years ago I was like oh I think I actually have like anxiety (laughs) which is something a little bit more I I guess more of a constitution really rather Mm -hmm. than um you know something that you there's a quick fix for or like you said when you're in a funk and, and then you get out of it Um, and so one thing, and I hope this doesn't sound super hippy dippy because I, I, I'm trying to stay away from that, but I think one thing that really helped me was discovering meditation or mindfulness. Um, so I was very, uh, reluctant to get into it because I thought it was a bunch of, you know, bogus, basically like, ah, bah humbug or whatever. (laughs) Um, I didn't believe in, um, the healing powers of mindfulness and meditation and, um, So I went to a couple of, I don't know if our listeners know Meetup, the platform, but it's sort of like this platform where people can um, advertise just any kind of meetup, whatever it is, um, rather than, you know, always having like a proper course with a proper teacher, people can just get together and, and, um, do things on their own. But anyway, so I went to a couple of meetups, um, which were meditation and I kind of liked it, but I didn't really find one that kind of fit for me because most of them tended to be a bit too spiritual and I'm not religious and I'm not that spiritual, so I couldn't really connect to that. Um... And it just kind of left me feeling inadequate because I was like, oh, I can't really connect to that. And instead of switching off, I feel a little bit more like, what am I doing here? When can I go home? So I actually uh, bought a book which just had a 10-week program. Um, it was called Mindfulness in a Busy World, and I can actually really recommend it. Um, it just had a CD with sort of 10 meditation exercise and just sort of, uh, yeah, teaches you on your own how to... Meditate basically, and um, I kind of felt the effects immediately. Um, I felt like I was a lot calmer, and um, I just really, you know, just that moment. Or I think I did it every morning. Um, just became this sort of sacred time for me in the morning, where I, I, it was just sitting there and focusing on myself, um, and. Also getting some perspective and just learning to breathe you know I think that's actually the most fundamental thing about meditation it's just the breathing exercises because um, so many times when you have uh, bad thoughts or you're anxious, your breathing pattern changes and it um, yeah makes makes it worse in a way you know so I think being able to breathe and just focus on the moment and um, my sister said this really interesting thing she's like focus on the moment, control the controllables mm. and you know some things are out of your control. And then that is sort of like a general thing. And I would definitely recommend that to people who have anxiety, even though, you know, I was very reluctant to get into it, but I definitely felt um, the benefits of it. And I do feel about calmer now. And then the second thing I just wanted to mention is, so I had something pretty traumatic happen to me recently at work. Nothing to do with sexual harassment, which is what everyone thinks at the moment when you say, like, something traumatic happened to me at work. Um, not to go into too much detail. If you know me, you can just ask me directly what happened. But um, it was it was pretty bad, and it kind of had a really bad um, impact on my mental health. And so I think uh, for this is what helped me at least, Um For those moments when you go through a bit of trauma, I think it's good to remember your routines um, because I think you get so consumed by those feelings of feeling inadequate and vulnerable and sad that you don't remember the things that are good in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, just sticking to those daily routines, you know, whether it is that, you know, in the morning you take five minutes to make your coffee or, or tea. Or that, I don't know, you use a face mask or maybe before bed you use essentials, whatever it is that you usually do that you kind of see as an act of self-care. I think it's really important to stick to those things because, especially when you have something traumatic happen to you that's never happened to you before, I think your brain is just like, whoa, I've never experienced this emotion, everything's up in turmoil and help. Um, And just sticking to the things that you know in a routine can like ground you. So I think those two things definitely um, are my cheaper than therapy in general, (laughs) my emergency cheaper than therapy, but also uh, my general cheaper than therapy. So meditation, mindfulness, and um, just building up a good self-care routine. And that doesn't have to involve expensive candles or um, bath salts. It just can be tiny acts that you're aware of and that you do every day that make you feel better.
2: So good. And I totally agree with that point about self-care, not having to be like, you know, Uh, like 60 pound deep teak candles Mm. or whatever it is yeah it's the small things that um, keep you kind of rooted in your everyday life totally
0: all right well I think that's it so um, sorry again you guys that we kept you waiting for so long Uh, we hope to be back to our regular schedule of um Uh, publishing new episodes every two weeks unless something horrible comes up Uh, like Snowmageddon which happened here last week (laughs) Um, but yeah it feels really good to be back and it feels really good to see you guys again and talk about these things so um, we hope you're all doing well and keeping warm and we'll see you soon bye we also want to thank Kevin McLeod for our type of music the show must be go. Thank you for providing cool free music. Bye!